on this week's Devils in the Details. Given United's performances this season and the influx of changes at board level, we're bound to see many changes over the summer. This week, we preview the breadth of some of those changes while reflecting on the last few seasons. Case, in the spirit of United's form lately, Alex Towles asks, would you take Sean Dyche in the summer? How do you think he'd set up United tactically? How does that make you feel? I didn't realize we were answering this question seriously. No. (laughs) No. (laughs) I I didn't say seriously, in fairness. Um, Yeah, I don't really feel like talking about the match against Fulham. It felt like confirmation of all of the things we talked about when United were winning last week. Um, and so I think what we're going to do is take a bigger picture look. Here's what this episode is not going to be. And I say this because we are going to do episodes about this stuff in the near future. We're not going to be giving hugely definitive takes on prospective coaches or specific players unless they're ones that we've watched extensively. I think this is something that's becoming rife on Twitter that we ju- we're just going to look not to do um, in, a, in an attempt to avoid being wrong and misinformative about these coaches and players. What it is going to look like is a view of what some of you guys are thinking right now based on the questions you're submitting us and thoughts about United over the last few years and the types of things that we think might fix those issues um, in the context of the ideas that you guys have been thinking about. And I know that's quite vague, but as soon as we get into this, I'm sure you'll have a much clearer idea. Uh, Case, is there anything you want to add? No, I think that covers it well. Perfect. All right, let's get going. First, let's talk about some ideas adjacent to managers. Mark asks, given the inevitable hire of Ashworth and the links to Sam Jewell, is Potter or Deserby the manager next season? Uh, To do some quick terms clarifications, United have obviously been acquired partially by Ineos. They have hired Omar Barada from Manchester City as CEO. Um, They are now reportedly... Uh, going to hire Dan Ashworth, uh, Newcastle sporting director, to be their own sporting director. There are links to Jason Wilcox, who is Southampton's director of football, uh, to being United's potential director of football. And then Mark alludes to Sam Jewell, who is Brighton's head of recruitment. So given that Dan Ashworth also has history at Brighton, I think what Mark is saying is that United are likely to follow in many of the same steps as Brighton because when these guys were at Brighton, they concluded that these coaches, Potter and Deserby, were good. Case, first of all, what are your thoughts on adopting a lot of the things Brighton have been doing over the past few years? And also, what are your thoughts on early thoughts on how Potter and Deserby's Brighton teams have looked? And less so whether you think they would be good managers for United but more so whether you think it's likely United would be looking at managers like this. I mean, just in general, I think it's... Brighton have done a really good job of maximizing their budget, playing attractive football, and finding good players. So I think that's a positive thing to pursue. 
if you can replicate it with a higher budget, you can wind up with some really good outcomes, I think. As for the second part of the question, definitely, at, least, at the very least, United will be looking at managers like them. Uh, I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that one of those two is likely to be United manager. I think they'll go through a process. I think those two will probably both be candidates. But I think just because Brighton hired those those two managers doesn't mean there's going to be some sort of preference by a couple of people who were working at Brighton at the time that those decisions were made. Um, yeah, I think really what it is is Brighton... I've said this so many times on this podcast. Your club is only going to be as good as the conception of how the game works that your you know, director of football and your recruitment team and your manager and your managerial staff espouse. And Brighton have, I think, a very good organizational understanding of how the game works and how the transfer market works, how recruitment works, what players are effective, what managers are effective, and so they make good decisions. And so I think Deserby and Potter are candidates as a product of that. Um, they were well identified. <laughs> uh, not because they, they played, they, they managed at Brighton, but because Brighton identifies effective managers. Does that make sense? Uh, it does. I think I'm going to yeah. ask you a relatively dumb question with the point of it being a bit of a leading question here. Um, sure. So Brighton have come into the Premier League. They haven't gotten relegated since they got promoted many years ago now. Um, in the last three seasons, including this one, they have been consistently in the top 10. Um, they look like they're going to finish this season in the top 10. And that's despite them coming up from the championship without, you know, a significant... Um, plunge of investments compared to other teams that have come up from the championship in the past 10 years, looking at, you know, sides like Leeds, sides like Wolves that have put in a lot more money, uh, perhaps on the surface than Brighton did when they first came up. Now, many might draw comparisons in isolation of those league finishes to Everton in the early 2010s when United hired David Moyes, consistently punching above their weight consistently signing players who, who were successful at this level. Um, but David Moyes was obviously a failed appointment for United. What is it about Brighton and their strategy um, that is different to that Everton side um, that makes it more scalable to United um, and how United are going to look to play in the next few seasons? I mean, to massively oversimplify it, Brighton play with the ball on the ground and with a ball to feet, and that Everton side played with the ball in the air. Um, and you can you can like really break that down to a greater extent. Brighton do play over the top. They do, uh, you know, pass uh, with the ball in the air. Um, but it's fundamentally a side that's predicated on, uh, you know, versatile technicality as opposed to um, predominantly physical edges, um, which I think you could say that Everton side was was more predicated on, which honestly is, is an oversimplification. There were some great technicians in that team, uh, Leighton Baines, for example. Uh, but yeah, that's just generally the idea. I think you can see, I would get more specific about like Moyes' game model, which is, it's not a very uh, adventurous, out-of-possession approach. It, it, it leans a lot on the assumption that the opposition... Uh, won't be able to beat you over the top when unpressured, uh, which is 
I just generally think a really bad assumption. And it, it, you know, that holds up against a lot of sides, but it doesn't hold up against top sides, which means you wind up with upper mid table finishes rather than top of the table finishes. Yeah. I don't think there's really many parallels at all, to be quite honest with you. Yeah. I just wanted to make that clear because I think a lot of people might suggest as they did when Potter joined Chelsea that, you know, Brighton doing well at Brighton doesn't prove that players will do well at top clubs because they have to make some kind of jump. Whereas I think what Brighton's doing isn't perfectly scalable to the top level. There's things that I think, um, in particular, when we look at Deserby, we'll probably talk about that are tactical limitations that Brighton have that we would not want United to have to have um, as, a, as a more ambitious side. But I think broadly what you're saying is that, you know, they're looking to sign players who have the technical and physical capabilities to play in possession systems at the top level and then looking to outplay the bottom half of the table in similar ways to how um, how top teams do it in in certain ways in and out of possession um, that I think United could really learn from. And I think Brighton have really stumbled upon a lot of really good players that we haven't even seen all of them yet. I think they have a lot in their current squad that are just coming up. And then also two very good coaches for that style of play. And so therefore, I find it promising news that United are looking to emulate a lot of what they do at the top level. I don't think it's, I don't, I'm not particularly worried about figures like this uh, scaling to the top level. I mean, I think we've seen the same with Brighton's players. Like they have a lot of players now who are playing for the absolute top teams in the Premier League. And even ones who I didn't think were, you know, world-class talent at Brighton. I thought they were very good players, but not necessarily, you know, future Ballon d'Or contending level players. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I don't know that you want all of Brighton's players, but you want to, again, emulate that model of player recruitment with a higher budget and therefore a lower... Uh, tolerance for flaws, probably. Awesome. Um, Relatedly, in terms of managers, and I think we'll have one more of these new manager sections before we move on to the next part of the podcast, I think what we're going to eventually look to do is have episodes about more of the shortlisted managerial candidates as names begin to float in the future, where we can actually watch a lot of their games and talk a lot about their game models as opposed to having an episode where we kind of just loosely throw names and then suggest which one we think is the best. Um, but Talk of the Red Devils asks, would love an in-depth view of potential managers and their pros and cons because, um, for better or for worse, it looks like it's only a matter of time before Ten Hag gets the sack. Fabian asks, if ETH should go, who do you replace him with given the current squad and style of play? And Jeffrey asks, thoughts on going for Nogglesman in the summer? Um, these are all questions about managers that might come in case roughly, I guess with the Brighton conversation in mind, I think we've both made it clear. We think United are going to be playing with a possession system next year. Throw me some names that you might expect to see linked to United over the next few weeks. I think we've already said the the big ones I would expect. Nogglesman, uh, Deserby, Potter. Alonzo, possibly. Chavi Alonzo, to be clear. But 
for, for a lot of reasons, I'm very doubtful he would be the choice. Inzaghi, Flick, I wouldn't be surprised to be linked to. Those are the ones that immediately come to mind for me. There are others. Uh, is there, who, who am I forgetting that, that you would immediately go to? I feel like we had this conversation very recently on the podcast, maybe two weeks ago. Uh, more than two weeks, but yeah, I, I think you got it. I Just going over this quickly, to be honest, because a lot of people asked about it. I think you. I think I would be relatively surprised if it was someone that you didn't name. I think Unarim from Sporting is one that gets mentioned a lot. Yeah, I'm. Yeah. I'm struggling for names other than that. Um, I think we are forgetting someone big, to be honest. I've heard people talk about Enrique, who's currently coaching PSG. I'd be surprised by that. I've heard mentions of I don't know maybe Nice's current coach because Ineos owns Nice. That would be Farioli. Yeah, I don't really know who else. Uh, Tiago Mata. Possibly, yeah. Carrick and McKenna, who are both in the championship right now. I would be very upset with either of those appointments. Yeah. So you might see, based on more links coming up in the next few weeks, us previewing some of these coaches. But... I think that requires a couple of things. One, it requires the situation with Ten Hag to reach a point where it actually reaches public mainstream discussion that he's going to be sacked. And two, for us to go watch a ton of football and come to you with things that are more informed than what you can already read from many, many people online. I think that's that. I'm The reason I'm so quiet here is I really don't want to give more than a list of names right now. And I've said this before. I don't want false positives again. I don't want to be talking about guys based on just on the football that I've seen of them. Uh, I really do want to do in-depth dives on the real candidates and, and have a serious conversation. And, and yeah, be more interrogative of how things could go wrong. Yeah. All right. One more or another topic that has been coming up a lot this week, I think in light of Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's visit to India has been uh, whether perhaps Solskjaer's tenure was undervalued by United in light of what is happening this season, what happened under Rangnick, and so on. Matt Herman asks, can you give your appraisal of Ole Solskjaer versus Ten Hag and Nagelsmann? A lot of talk recently about Ole, and I'm curious to know how much his tenure was fairly or unfairly criticized, and what indications his or Ten Hag's time gives about what needs to be done by whoever's next. Thanks. Do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first on this one? No, you go first on this one. Okay, I'm going to start with the positives. I think United, when they hired Solskjaer as interim, made a reasonable, a relatively reasonable choice to hire him as interim, because they were at a point where the squad had clearly fallen out with Mourinho, Um, They needed someone who was going to restore some level of joy around the club and leave the side relatively competitive in all competitions, despite it being quite broken. And I think Solskjaer came in and did that. And then obviously on the back of doing that and a very fun, but also I think fortuitous win against PSG, Solskjaer was handed the full-time job and then went on to coach two and a half more seasons of United. I think from that point, it was clear that United set up in such a way that they rarely ever, until his last season, got 
battered, but they also rarely, and this will be countered by many people who will reference big wins in matches where United scored early and the state of the game became largely transitional and then Solskjaer's team battered other sides in transitions. But they rarely ever won games in a way that you'll see teams like City and Arteta's Arsenal win matches now. Um, where they consistently pin the opposition back, play through them, generate high-quality chances, and score multiple goals. And what that meant was there were also many matches where United needed to be able to play through teams, and they were unable to play out of the back and play through sides. They were unable to press at a high enough level to generate consistent chances, Sometimes they showed ability to press at a high enough level to keep the opposition out, which is somewhat of an achievement, but they never, in my opinion, particularly showed the ability to suffocate opposition playing out of the back in a way that forced mistakes and led to the creation of chances. And then in the final third, there were there was just not a strong enough idea of how the side was going to be structured to break the opposition down from the perspective of stretching the pitch vertically and horizontally. Um, really, the only things United did at an elite level were keep the opposition out um, in, in, a, in a settled block state and be able to counter and create amazing opportunities in transitions that they weren't particularly good at forcing. So all of that is to say, there's a lot of rosy hindsight on this tenure because United won many big matches which were good opposition tactical displays that allowed United to capitalize on fortuitous moments um I think the league finishes which were in seasons where the opposition was inferior to what United are up against now and the points tallies were less than spectacular with 66 and 74. Ten Hogs side beat that last season. Ultimately, I, I'm kind of tired of these discussions because it makes it seem like, like I don't want to be the villain and say that someone that is a hero to many people and to the club is bad, but I just think it's pretty obvious that he wasn't at the level required to coach a team of this caliber. And he will not be hired to coach another team of this caliber in the long term and meaningfully succeed at doing so, in my opinion. So I'll let you go now. Yeah, I think this is how I would talk about the comparison of the two. Both of them failed miserably in different ways for different reasons. So I think the fact that things have gone so poorly now doesn't mean things weren't going poorly and that Ollie wasn't failing at a lot of things then. I think Solskjaer had a, you know, I always talk about this, you know, you're, you're only ever going to be as good as your conception of how the game works. Because you're going to build your team to win matches in the way that you conceive that matches are won. 
Um, and I think Soulstar had an incredibly outdated conception of how matches were won. Uh, that came from a time when football was at the, at the highest level, was less tactically rigorous, uh, was more uh, open. Uh, it was less about, you know, possession in the opposition half, transition, possession in, in, in your own, uh, you know, opposition possession in your own half, transition, uh, and, and these individual states. Things were more fluid. The, the ball changed, uh, who was in possession changed more frequently. Uh, possessions were shorter and more direct. The game was just very different. And I think he tried to coach United to, to, to play as if their opposition was going to be engaging with them on the same premise, and they simply weren't. Um, and so United never really came close to competing with City or Liverpool. And, I, you know, the Solskjaer's United side never came to being as good as the current Arsenal side, despite the fact that I think the best players on that Solskjaer side were better than uh, Arsenal's current best players. Um, all of which is to say... While I don't think Solstar's side was ever, you know, we never got this far into a season with the results, with the, the performances being consistently this bad. Except after he got sacked. But we, ne- we never got that, that wasn't this far into the season. Yeah, he was with sacked. Him. Yeah, so we never got, yeah, so we never got this far into a season with him, with the performances being this bad under Solstar. But I think the reason that you have you know, what's really been some of the worst football United have played since Ferguson left is because right now we are pursuing a game model that is more modern, that the current manager has a conception of this is how we can go out and win football matches in a modern context. And he's wrong about that, but he's still considering the game in a modern context. And so in, the, in that way, you can see tactical ideas on the pitch that are modern. Um, they're ineffective, but he's actually engaging on like the same playing field as these other top managers. He's just not, you know, got it. He's, he's not uh, been as effective, but he is thinking about the game in the same way. And so in that way, I think... He's falling short less um, just because, you know, there there was never any space for Soul Stars United to get better than they were. Like there was no, there was no next step. Um, you know, you, you could talk about acquiring Cristiano Ronaldo, acquiring Varane, acquiring Sancho and this idea that that was going to elevate that team, but that was never going to do it. Uh, because there was no tactical next step. United were never, there was no plan for how United were going to dominate matches better. They were just going to execute their plan better, which their, the plan was simply outdated. Um, so in that way, I think that's how I conceptualize it. Both of them ultimately haven't done a good job. Um, and I agree, I don't think Solskjaer will ever get another job at a top side. Um, unless he completely reforms the way he conceptualizes the, the game, which, you know, isn't completely impossible, but I, just, I would be surprised. Um, yeah, so I don't think we were too harsh on Ollie at the time. Uh, I think, 
you know, both of them can have done a, a, a bad job and have and have been disadvantaged by the the club structure around them. But I, I think all three of those things can be true. Uh, they weren't supported well, and neither did a good job. In the context of these managers being supported, it could be argued that the recruitment didn't support Solshire as well as it could have, and I think that would be reasonable. Yes, I, I agree, but I also think this is another criticism of him that I have. I think he did a worse job than Ten Hag has in identifying which players he has are good. I, I think he was just wrong about a lot of them. I think, you know, his insistence on using Juan Basaka, uh, his insistence on, you know, Greenwood, his insistence on, um, I think, Martial at center forward, um, Brandon Williams getting that contract extension to play left back. I, I could really go on for, for days about this. Um, McTominay being a regular starter and that not being something he was like, we desperately need to address this in two consecutive transfer windows. They were just, he was willingly putting out bad footballers and didn't seem to think it was a problem. And I don't think that's a problem for the current manager in the same way. There were two things that stood out to me from that interview he gave a couple days ago. The first being he outright named Fred and McTominay as two players who were giving him like a level of consistency that made him feel that they were reliable. And then he cited saying, you know, as a manager, you don't want a team where they walk out into the pitch and you don't know what you're going to get. And with Fred and McTominay, I always knew what I was going to get. And like, yeah, that's stunningly out of touch with the reality of the football they were playing. <laughs> I think it, it, it comes from a few things. Um, Again, not to dismiss the role of character, but if you are someone who has been a footballer individually, it is very important to focus on your character. As a football coach, it's important to focus on character, but it is also important to focus on, you know, holistically aspects of the game that are just much bigger topics than what a player individually might be working on refining in their skill set and showing on the pitch. And I think it shows a lack of conceptualization of what could have been done with the midfield with more money and more and more application tactically. It, it, it gave me a sense that he didn't really have a clear idea of how United were actually going to play through sides more effectively with better players. Exactly. It's, it's sort of, the, it's the interplay of the two things I, like I had just said, right? Like, misconception of how the game works because the game worked differently when he played. Um, and that ultimately comes down to the, the way midfielders play, you know? This idea of, like, receiving between the lines, turning under pressure, and progressing centrally, I don't think he viewed that as necessary to a winning side, and it is. Um, yeah. Sort of, it sort of feeds into what you're saying. And then the second thing he was talking about was how creativity can sometimes outweigh coaching specific patterns. And while in some cases, I think individual creativity is something, A, that's definitely necessary, B, something that cannot be attributed for with coaching, especially in the final third, it comes from this place of something that very good players often struggle with when translating to coaching, where they believe that 
the thing that should be focused on most is the individual skill of players, which is obviously important. It's it's paramount, but that doesn't mean that those players shouldn't be supported by coaching instructions that top coaches now implement that weren't implemented when he was playing that allow teams with good players to progress at speeds and in ways and through spaces that virtually zero footballers can progress at um, and exploit even with their individual ability. So basically all of that is to say, I'm not going to pretend that his entire tenure was a disaster. There was obviously a big delta between his teams in the first two seasons and the third season where they entirely fell off. There were good moments, but it was pretty clear to me back then as it is now that he just wasn't a coach of this level. And that's fine. Like, it is what it is. I don't think we need to change that history just because the coach that replaced him also doesn't appear to be a coach of this level. Yeah, I think that's well put. The only thing I would add is, just as a matter of process, I think his appointment speaks to the dysfunction that was going on at the club. I, I don't think it was made for the right reasons. I don't, I don't mind the interim appointment, whatever. I don't really care who your interim manager is, quite frankly. But... I don't think ties to the club should be a variable when choosing a manager. And I think that's in particular true when you've had as much of a dry spell as United have had, because you're just reducing the likelihood that you're getting the right guy. And, and that's where I would, I would leave it. Uh, but bottom line, neither of these guys have been good enough. All right. I think that's enough on that subject. Next. Blackstar asks, how much of a factor do you think athleticism is when recruiting in the modern era? I think it's almost tipping the scale versus tech, but of course you have to meet the minimum amount of tech to be a truly great player. Yeah, physicality is huge. I think we talk about that a lot. Um, I think it's, I would probably argue it's more important than technicality. That said, the example that Blackstar gives here is he prefers Connor Gallagher to Enzo Fernandez for this reason. And I will say, I could not disagree with that more. So I guess, like, whether I agree or not is highly dependent on what you conceptualize as, like, the minimum level of physicality or whatever it may be. Um, I still think elite technicality is of, so, like, such high value that you can accommodate uh, lesser physical players so that you can have that technicality in your team. But yeah, physicality is huge. Huge. Massive. Let's look at the City team that won the treble last season. In midfield, they had Rodri, Bernardo, Gundogan, Kevin De Bruyne, Phil Foden. These are all players with both huge physical advantages above maybe like at least physically average in the division, if not well above average in different ways extremely technically proficient in dribbling, ball progression, press resistance, ability to operate in the final third, conceptualization of space in the game and how it works. These are players who have the full skill set. 
yes, this season City are not running away with the title. That has required A, one of those players in Gundawan to leave. B, many of these players at different points in the season to be injured. C, in my opinion, one of the most tactically cohesive sides in Europe, probably arguably the most tactically coherent side in Europe that is not City in Arsenal, who, despite all of their out-of-possession dominance throughout the season, are still behind City. And then Liverpool having a team that has continuously challenged them by having also great coaching combined with four or five of the best players in the world in their positions that have just time and time again won them many points individually on the basis of them being incredible players. You saw Van Dyke's header today if you watched the League Cup final. You can't account for that level of brilliance. So if you want to beat the City team, in my opinion, you need players who meet that bar. And United need to be putting everything into finding the players who have both of these things. And like, it's easy to say, what's the choice, physicality or technicality? There is no choice. You have to get both. Yep. There's no choice. Like, and this is the problem with scouting and us suggesting players and the like mill of dozens of players who are being linked to United. It's that the best teams, in particular, you can see this with Liverpool. They went into Europe's top five leagues and beyond Europe's top five leagues. And they identified the specific players that had the technicality and the physicality to compete with Man City. And they went and got them. And not every player that's being linked is that. And that doesn't mean that it's a debate of like, do I want a player who's extremely physical but not technical enough? Or do I want a player that's extremely technical but not as physically inclined as some of City's players? It means that you have to do what these teams do, which is wait for that option to come in and buy it. And then find a way to get by when that player is not available. But finding a way to get by is not going to make Manchester United the team that won, you know, 13 Premier Leagues under Ferguson. Um, what's going to make them that is consistently just finding the players who have both. Again, this is one of, becoming one of my things that I say every week. No more compromising. And I think that this is also, the last thing I'll add, it is also a sticking point I have with how Arsenal have gone about building this team. Where I think they are excellent, um, but with but for the money they spent, they have spent. I don't think that they have recruited players who are as technically and physically proficient as Man City's players. And so when push comes to shove, I still think their squad is worse than Man City's, um, regardless of how well their profiles work together and how tactically cohe- cohesive they are. You need that. You need to get these. I can't emphasize this enough. We can have any coach in the world. You need to get a, a share of those elite players, or you will not win trophies, no matter how good the rest of the team is. Yeah. So we got a lot of questions that were in in the spirit of if and when you re- replace the current manager, who do you replace with the current squad in mind and like the style of play? Um. I will just say this. I don't think you should be making decisions about who the next manager is with the current squad in mind or the current style of play. Because I think there's a decent chance that you wind up deciding that a lot of the current squad 
aren't going to be a part of the next great United side. And, as I've said many times before, I don't think the current style of play, in particular the emphasis on transitions, is a way that you can win a league title in the Premier League anymore. Like, I just don't think... United need to go down a path where they put a much higher emphasis on dominating possession and dominating territory. And that means necessarily less of an emphasis on, you know, matching the manager's approach to this uh, squad. Because there are a few players who are, in particular, transition-reliant footballers. So, yeah, that's really how I look at that. I'm find decide how you want to play. Find a manager who will play like that and get the players to fit into that, um, as opposed to the other way around. Because the other way around, we've been trying for a long time and it doesn't work. Yeah, I I think there's some interesting points to be made here. You so firstly, you talk about you know players who are reliant on transition, or or players who are suited to transition style football. I think a lot of people would suggest that some of United's very best players are optimized in transition systems. So does that mean that they're no longer useful and should be sold or shouldn't be planned around? It depends on the player, but I will say this. I'm to a great extent skeptical that a system that is quote-unquote transition-based gets the most out of a lot of the players that United have that thrive in transition, just because I think attackers become more prolific, more productive when they see the ball more often and are more selective about when they, you know, attempt to ultimately be penetrative, penetrative, penetrative. No, you're right the first time. (laughs) Penetrative. um, Penetrative. Of the defense. And so, yeah, I, I don't buy the idea that, Rashford, for example, is more productive getting eight balls over the top per match where he gets on the end of one of them as opposed to more measured possession where he's seeing the ball more often. Um, and then also still benefits from counterattacks. Yeah, exactly. It's not Possession-based sides still counterattack, still try to play fast. They're just smarter about it than we are. I don't think it's actually an issue, I guess is really what I'm saying. Whether that be because these players aren't good enough or because I don't actually think it's a variable uh, that's that's important to how you decide to play uh, or yeah. at least a negative. <laughs> the other thing I'll say about this is one positive that I'll take from Ten Hogs tenure is that I think there has been an influx of younger players into the side who are well-suited to possession systems to the point where I think these make up the majority of good players in this United team or the, yeah. the majority of the future of this United team. Um, so to whatever extent, I think Bruno and Rashford are still going to be big contributors for this side. I'm looking at Dalo, who was on the outskirts of the team when he joined, Menu, who was in the academy, Garnacho, who was in the academy, Rasmus Hoyland, um, Andre Onana, Mason Mount, if he can find his fitness again, Lissandro Martinez. Martinez. These are all players born 1998 or later who have come in and immediately become uh and are immediately possession-based footballers who are in the in the younger half of united squad and i think that means two things the first thing it means is that any manager coming in 
and any proper assessment of the squad would conclude that it is actually well-suited to possession football in the long term because the current young group of players who also make up many of the best players in this team are players who are primarily suited to possession-based football. The second thing it means is that what you have is a group of young players who are suited to what you want to do and then a group of older and aging players who are not as suited to what you want to do. And it is much easier to then go, okay, we're going to replace the players who are not going to be here in five years anyways, who already do not suit the way we want to play, than it is to go, we're going to replace this group of young, talented players who are suited to the way we want to play and can probably do it for the next five plus years. Avoiding the Nemanja-Matic situation. Exactly. So everything is set up for even a flawed assessment of this squad to conclude, yeah, this team is likely to peak in three or four years by signing young players who are suited to a possession system, which is exactly what they should be thinking, and therefore many of the decisions should follow from there, regardless of who is manager and regardless of which young players end up coming in. Yep. Yeah. Okay, I think that's enough on that issue. We got some questions about players, but we can also go to no details. What, what are you feeling? One more question on transfers. James Rolanti asks, I hate to be that guy, but identifying where you want to go for targets in positions of need for the summer? Generally, I would say, regardless of who comes in, you want to have two players for each position in this side, and currently we have a strong idea of who will probably still be in the side next season, and therefore can create the gaps here. Um, I'm going to list them off really quick, and then you can maybe come in with some more um, ideas that you might have here. Um, rumors are Bayandir is leaving, so I think you might be looking at a backup goalkeeper. At right back, I think Dalo was given an extension in the summer and has been probably United's best player this season, so I, I would expect him to start next season. Um, and then even though Shaw has been injured a lot, I wouldn't look to let him go because of the immense quality he provides when he's available. Um, you might be looking at a new pair of fullbacks, right back for sure, left back depending on what we see from Malasia between now and the end of the season, which might not even be much. I was going to say, Center I back, feel like left back for sure. <laughs> left back's also probably likely at this point. Um, center backs, I think Lissandro's definitely going to stay. I think Maguire is probably also quite likely to stay given that he was at a worse point last summer and offers came in and he still chose chose to stay. And I also think, I mean, he hasn't been great, but I think he's been decent this season considering everything that's been going on. Um, I think you have a little bit of a situation with Varane and Lindelof where one of them is likely to leave. So I would expect maybe one right-footed center back to come in in the summer. I think you really need to bring in a right-footed center back, to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. You can't really run with what's currently there for the entirety of next season. We've also seen Evans get a lot of minutes, which is not necessarily a likely outcome every season, given that he's fifth choice. But he has also played as above fifth choice at times this season, which, while I think was quite ridiculous from Ten Hag, I also think is reflective of a level of insecurity about the options outside Lissandra Martinez. Agreed. Cool. So what we're saying, possibly a backup goalkeeper, right back, left back, right footed center back. So every position so far. Midfield. Uh, Casemiro has to should go. Be gone. Yeah. Erickson probably also going. That yeah, creates two vacancies go. in midfield. You've got Menu. I think you're hoping that Mount can come in and play a role. Um, Bruno's 
going to stay. McTominay, again, United didn't accept offers from him last summer. I mean, I think if you got the right offer, you sell, but I'm skeptical that United are going to get the right offer. So it's likely that he stays. That's two midfielders you need then. Yeah. Yeah. So you need two midfielders. I think then you'll have Bruno starting 10 with Mount and McTominay as options, depending on the scenario. Up front, you've got Rasmus Hoyland, Marcus Rashford, Alejandro Garnacho. I think we've seen pretty much nothing from pretty much everybody else this season. Um, I think it's premature to assume that someone like Forsen or Ahmad could be regulars next season. So as of now, I mean, you you might consider Mason Mount an option for the front three, which would leave you with two forwards, a striker and a winger. Well, yeah, I think think ultimately I think you go... Center forward and right wing are the other two positions of need. I I wouldn't really... I don't think you build Mount into your plan for the forwards. I like. I don't like the idea of a break glass in case of emergency option being part of the plan. You need to have four... You need to have at least four fit... Consistently fit forwards that you think you can rely on. Um, yeah. And really, I think you need five. If Mount um, plays in the front three, I think I would like for it to be because you want to add more to midfield, not because you ran out of forwards. Yeah. And the other thing I would say is uh, Anthony Ucell, Martial gone. Who am I forgetting? There's somebody... Sancho. That's it. Sancho. Yeah, all three should be gone in the summer. I-, I think you should be able to get some money there. Like, I don't think Sancho and Anthony are without value. I don't think Casemiro is without value. I think I don't think Varane is without value. So I do think there's money to be made in those sales. Uh, I don't think Wambisaka it's going to be what you well. paid for those guys. Wambasaka as well. But I think you can probably pull back, a, you know, the money to Bandier maybe as well, get. Honestly. Yeah, I, I have no idea what he would be worth at this point, but shouldn't be zero. I, I'd have to think in all of those players, you'd be looking to generate close to $100 million in sales, right? Yeah, I agree. I agree. Medjbri as well. Yeah. Alvaro my my concern is... Yeah. My concern is I really do think you need all eight of those players, um, ultimately. And I don't think we're getting eight players this summer. Which means next year you're going to have another, you know, how many years has it been now with an incomplete squad? It's been every year I feel like there's like, oh, we really can't believe we're going in with an, we don't have a left back in January. We don't have a midfielder. We don't have a center forward. Um, it's something. Yeah. I would have three points for this. One is between now and May, try to try academy players. I mean, a lot of the players we just listed, like you're not even getting Premier League average football out of them right now. Um, it yeah. really can't. Like, Forsen started over Anthony on this weekend, and I think on the balance of things, I agree with that. Like, yeah. yeah, if you're not getting anything out of your senior players, the worst you can get, I think, from your youth players is similar. So if you think anyone might be ready to play minutes next season, now's the time to give them a go. Like, if you can even whittle that list down to, like, five, it becomes possible for United to go get all of those players. I think on that note, we can call it a week here. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Hopefully some stories by next week. Um, And hopefully you enjoyed this. I feel like it was much better than talking about the 90 minutes that ensued on Saturday morning or afternoon, depending on where you live, or evening. See you next week, everybody. See you next week, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this week's Devils in the Details. You can follow us at Devils ITD Pod on Twitter 
or on a variety of streaming platforms. Our awesome theme music was made by Jacob Connor. You can find at Jacob J. Connor on Twitter. Have a great week, and we'll see you next time.